Warning, this week's episode of Haunts, Graves, and Omens has depictions of death, violence, and other inhumane acts. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This reminds me of my time as an earthworm. Oh. How was it? Squirming. Oh. And then they were like, so you have to leave the Wendy's drive-thru. Do this in the lobby. Yeah, in the lobby, it's more acceptable. Now I'm a professional uh, worm ventriloquist. Pretty cool. That's pretty fun. Pretty cool. Welcome to Hot Graves and Omens. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. My name is Fred Stewart, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host Taylor. Hello, hi, it's Tay. me. Hi, how are and you? I'm doing. You know, I'm just. I'm doing good. It's uh, you know, I got a nice little day fishing today. Kind of chill, you know. Yeah. And all riled, riled up, and a little bit of sugar. So I'm like thousand miles an hour. But with this running camera and running sound, is Marty Kalik. I am doing what he said. <laughs> Great, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple things to talk about at the top of the show. Um there is allegedly uh not confirmed yet, but there might be a potential serial killer within the Portland area. Um you know, it's not a confirmed thing, the police are it's still an investigation, but the media and the speculation behind it is that there is an active serial killer. Uh so those out there, uh please stay safe and you know, make sure you're watching yourself, keeping a 360 at all times. And uh, are on top of that. Secondly, um, this has nothing to do with the episode. Uh, this just came out like, I guess, today or yesterday. Um, the Las Vegas police investigated aliens in a backyard report after officer had spotted flying objects. Oh. Um, Las Vegas officers uh, investigated reports of two unknown entities falling from the sky on the same night in late April that a family reported something, quote, not human in their backyard. One officer drove to a home on the night of April 30th and interviewed the family who called 911 after making the sighting. According to body cam footage obtained by USA Today, which I have not watched yet, I literally just found this right before we started recording. Uh, one family member told the officer that they saw a quote big creature and it was long about 10 feet tall. Uh, the officer told the family he was looking into the claims because another officer saw something in the sky that matched the family's description eight minutes earlier. He said, I'm not going to BS you guys. One of my partners says they saw something fall in the sky too. So that's why I'm kind of curious. It's weird. Just the fact that our partner saw something at the exact same time. It is weird. Uh, nearby residents called 911 to report something, quote, 100% not human on their property. Um, this, uh, the news station of uh, TV News Station 8 uh, reported that they um, you know, got this footage that showed a glowing flying object in the sky, which is super intense. Um, about 40 minutes later, another man called 911 to report two unknown entities in his backyard after he and his family saw something uh, similar, uh, like to have object fall from the sky. 
Um, if they said, quote, there's like an eight foot tall person beside it and another one is inside uh, us and it has big eyes and it's looking at us and it's still there. Uh, the man said to a 911 dispatcher, quote, it's in my backyard. I swear to God, that's not a joke. This is actually, we are terrified. So it's being investigated as an unknown, you know, entity. Essentially, it's it's somewhere between 8 to 10 feet tall, humanoid with big, giant black eyes. And they're saying it's, quote, 100% not human. Wow, me. I thought it was like Shaq and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Kareem Abdul Jabbar. But I don't know. That was very crazy. How tall is Shaq? How tall is Shaq? You know what? You know, uh, he think he's think he's at seven foot seven foot uh seven foot one. I'm taller than that. It was me. I was in the backyard. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that we have to like we have to like you're you're actually like I think you're what, nine feet tall? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. They have to like shrink me to fit me in frame. Kind of crazy. That's true. Yeah, we do. It's, yeah. it's all it's all camera editing. You know, it's behind the scenes. We're talking shop now, guys. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. gonna be for my other podcast. I'm gonna start. Um, <laughs> but um, anybody else got any fun news to share? No, not really. Nope. All right, then. Fuck you guys. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm just bringing aliens Excuse to the table. Me. I'm bringing serial killers. And speaking of killers. You guys ready to get into it? Uh, as ready as I can get be. Into it. Murder is a terrifying and despicable act done by humans every single day. Any true. protest? No. I mean, that's Marty. A fact, right? I think that's a fact. Okay. Over 26,000 homicides occur in the U.S. every year. I mean, that's your opinion, man. Slow down. 26,001 homicides occur <laughs> there you go, there you go. every year. Um, but the murderer is about always more often than not an adult. Uh, but that's not always the case. In this episode, we're diving deep into kids who kill. Ooh. Kids who kill. Ooh. Need the close up. <laughs> Nice. Sorry. Make sure there's dead air. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't like. I couldn't hold back my cough anymore. And no one was saying anything, but I still had to cough. I don't know what the fuck is going on. This cop's been the, hanging around. I'm the probably cameras got to roll. I mean, you can't. You know, we're 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 rolling, baby. Let's get into it. Take for example our first case of nine-year-old Kyle Allwood. Around 11 p.m. on April 6th. Uh, 2019, a fire was reported in the uh, area Peora uh, near the village of Goodfield, Illinois. Firefighters arrived minutes after the call. Uh, upon arrival, they found a mobile home fully involved, uh, fire rapidly shooting from its sides. Uh, once the fire was contained and the smoke was cleared, five bodies, three children, all under three years old, um, Catherine Murray, uh, age 69, and Josh Wall, age 34, were all found dead from smoke inhalation. Jesus. Uh, Katrina Allwood, uh, age 27, and her son Kyle both survived the fire. So we could end the story right there and say this fire was something along the lines of what a terrible accident and a tragic, you know, tragic accident. But according to the Woodford, uh, Woodford County Sheriff's Office, it wasn't an accident. In this case, which still hasn't gone to trial, might I add, they have charged, at the time of the arrest, nine-year-old Kyle.
Kyle Allwood with five counts of first-degree murder, Jeez. two counts of arson, and one count of aggravated arson. How did they find out it was a kid? Well, the uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get into this in okay. a second. The reason the case has not gone to trial is because the DA and the courts cannot deem him mentally well-fit enough to stand trial. <laughs> now, how do you know it's a kid? Well, how do you know it's his kid? Uh, when the fire reportedly started, he said, I messed up. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it. Oh. This kid also has a history of lighting fires and oh. might be suspected in another arson that killed oh. somebody. Oh, jeez. Wow. Um, that's pretty much the end of that because it's the investigation side and the case is still ongoing. So that's the end of that particular story. Yes, and so once once uh, we get more intel, I want to bring it back to the podcast. Yeah, because I want to follow this case intensely. Because I mean, this it, it's almost a fucking like death penalty case. I don't know if Illinois has death penalty, but it, it's a kid. Yeah, you know, I don't know what what the hell they're gonna do with it. Like, I don't know if it's unfortunate enough to where like you know, um, like. If he purposely meant to kill people or he's just like a little pyromaniac kid, you know, because yeah. I definitely accidentally started a field on fire when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I didn't kill anybody or I wasn't like doing it in a house. But like, why does this kid have access to like shit that can make a fire? That's know? the same thing I was question. asking when I was reading it. You know, it's um, it, it's it's a, definitely a complex case. Yeah. Um, like I said. There's a lot floating around, but there's not a lot of answers at this time. I feel like once it finally goes to court, then there's court proceedings and more knowledge comes out to the public, then I think it would be a little easier. Um, but at, at at this current time, he is currently under arrest for uh, five counts of first degree murder, the two counts of arson and count of aggravated arson. He's so, either going to learn like not to fuck around, you know, or like he's just going to like... I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, he suspected it in another arson. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if they if they're able to prove that he suspected in another arson, then it definitely might change some things. Yeah. You know, it's it's a fucking it's a really intense fucked up case. Yeah, you know? that's fucking crazy. And we're starting off strong with that one. But um we're gonna get on to the next case. I wanted to bring that to everybody's attention, gonna start the episode, give everybody's minds focused. Um the next case Technically doesn't end in murder, but it was so close enough that I think that we should add it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to set the scene for you guys, okay? Uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Known for its beautiful scenery, breweries, and lush parks. Waukesha is a nice and quiet place to live. Um, you're outside on another beautiful spring day. Your two friends ask if you want to go play hide and seek in the woods. A common activity that you guys would do quite often. You agree. Uh, once inside the woods for a little bit, your two friends seem to change. Anger and surreal calm wash over their face, and then the knives come out. You are stabbed a total of 19 times and left for dead. A terrifying story? Yes. Even worse, this is real. On May 31st, 2014, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, two 12-year-old girls, Anissa uh, Wire and Morgan Geyser, lured their friend Peyton uh, Lutner uh, into a forest and stabbed her 19 times. Why did they try to mur murder their friend? They did so to appease the fictional character known as Slenderman, 
Wow. Uh, Slenderman, if you don't know, is a fictional entity created on the Something Awful online forums and in a 2009 Photoshop paranormal image contest. Slenderman's myths were later explained by other people who created fan fiction, artist depictions, uh, video games that I've played that are fantastic. Yeah. Slenderman, the pages. Yeah. Fucking love that game. It's one of my favorite games in the entire world. It, it's, it's made me fall in love with the horror genre of, of video games. Um. People made like videos, like fake videos of you know of yeah. Slenderman, like yeah. you know, just common. It was it, he's an internet internet cryptid is the yeah. best way to describe. It. He's an Slenderman, internet cryptid. He definitely like took over, uh, like the whole like creepy pasta, like spooky stories exactly oh, yeah. side yes. of things. Like when I was growing up, like yeah, totally. I, I just remember like all the games. I re- I remember this case coming out, mm-hmm. and it just was crazy. Like all of it. Yeah, I mean, like, um, so Slenderman is a tall, thin character <laughs> with a featureless face and head. He is depicted wearing a black suit and sometimes shown with tentacles coming out of his back. According to Slenderman myths, the entity can cause amnesia, bounce of coughing, and paranoid behavior in individuals, and he's often depicted in hiding in force. A lot of creepypasta stories have him in this forested area in his mansion and some um best way to put it uh fan fiction <laughs> um might i say fan fiction heavy quotations <sighs> you know like slenderman wrapped his tentacles around me you know sh- <laughs> shit like that depict <laughs> slenderman God. taking in proxies as they call it okay. slenderman proxies mm-hmm. um but we'll get into it a little bit more um I you said fits a like or like bouts of coughing and that that might be my issue. Yes, you might be attacked by Slenderman. I think he just exists like around. And that's why I can't stop coughing. Is Probably he's just here. He's always here. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. So the the stabbing took place in David's Park, a wooded area in Waukesha, Wisconsin, uh, during game of hide and seek on May thirty first, twenty fourteen. The perpetrators, Anissa. Uh, who was born in 2001, and Morgan Geyser, who was born in 2002, uh, pinned down Peyton Isabella uh, uh, Lutner, uh, also known as Bella, a nickname given to her uh, at the time of the crime, um, and stabbed her 19 times in the arms, legs, and torso with a five-inch long blade. Um, Two wounds were two major organs. One uh, missed a major artery of her heart by less than a millimeter. Jeez. And another went through her diaphragm, cutting into her liver and stomach. God. So, um, Weir and Geyser told uh, Lutner to lie down while they would go find help, uh, but they did not get any upon leaving. Um, afterwards, <laughs> Lutner uh, f- somehow, through the sheer will, uh, dragged herself uh, through the woods to a nearby road where she was found by a cyclist who then called 911. Um, about five hours later, Weir and Geyser were apprehended uh, near Interstate 94 at a furniture store after walking 4.9 miles. The knife used in the stabbing was in a bag that they carried. Their goal was to meet Slenderman at his mansion called, get this, Slender Mansion, in the Nicolette National Forest, roughly 200 miles from their location. Oh, Wow. Um, During the interviews, Geyser was described as feeling, quote, no empathy, while Weir was described as feeling guilty for stabbing the victim, but both felt that the attack was needed to appease Slenderman. 
Um, that is pretty crazy. Like to yeah. have that in their heads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just I it's crazy that that happened because I'm also honestly I'm a little surprised like more things with like involving Slenderman didn't happen just because of how like big of a like a cult following almost he has yeah I mean I I do yes and no I mean I feel like um it's kind of like look at the clown phenomena where yeah. the killer clowns where people like start dressing as killer clowns and then people started fucking blasting people dressed as clowns you know that is fair so yeah. I mean it, it's just the, I I well we're gonna get into the mental states here in a second but like it's just it I don't know it's it's like this weird indoctrination with the internet that I mean grow, all of us grew up with the internet right yeah and as far as I know we've never killed somebody for an internet crypt <laughs> yeah no I have not not yet. But what I'm saying is, Speak for yourself. well, yeah, <laughs> what I'm saying is like what the, these people aren't these kids. I mean, they're, they're fucking adults now, but like these kids aren't too far away from like our age. Yeah. You know, they're Especially pretty your age. Yeah, I know. Hearing the hearing 2001, it's like, oh, 2001, 2002. Like those know? are. Way too close. Yeah. Like they're like, cl- close to your age. Yeah. But I mean, uh, 12 years old and they're they're stabbing their friend to death um some positive news about the attack if if, if any uh Lutner left the hospital seven days after the attack and she returned to school in september of 2014 uh so hopefully as far as i know she's doing okay um but as for geyser's mental status while growing up geyser experienced many hallucin- uh, hallucinations such as ghosts colors melting down the walls imaginary friends one named maggie and another named sev uh one hallucination occurred uh was a man of geyser named it whose body was the color of smoke and ink that stood behind her in mirrors or shifted around corners similar to that of slender man that's definitely some hardcore schizophrenia. It, I mean, I, I don't. I I know for um for males when schizophrenia starts coming in, um, it usually happens a little later. It generally um, is the same for women too. Yes, but it, it it's not unheard of, right? Yeah. Now, is this a case of overactive imagination? Is this child experiencing some sort of paranormal phenomena? Um, on top of having some sort of mental health issue, I'm not sure. But uh, after the arrest, Geyser's mother Angie say that she became quote uh, forbidly psychotic. Corrections officer saw Geyser talking to herself often, pretending to be a cat, and keeping ants as pets. Uh, she saw unicorns as well as had a continuous conversation with <laughs> Slenderman and other fictional characters such as Cerberus Snape. Oh, so that's cool. Um, Just out here having conversations with Snape. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, And then, sorry, uh, Taylor keeps uh, coughing. She's got something going on in her lungs. I'm going to the urgent care this weekend. I think. Yeah, I think that's probably for the best. Yeah, falling apart. Yeah, so sorry about that, but we'll battle through it. I'm I'm trying so hard not to cough, but the problem is, is when you try not to cough, then you cough. Yeah, extra hard. So, So. In the fall of 2014, Geyser was moved to Winnebago Mental Health Institute, and uh, which, conveniently enough, uh, is where they use kids to make RVs. Uh, determined if that she was competent enough to stand trial, they diagnosed Geyser on October 22nd, 2014, with early onset childhood schizophrenia. 
Uh, however, instead of treatment and medication, they focus on explaining the law to Geyser to prepare her for her trial. Oh, right. Nearly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nearly half a year later, Geyser was found competent enough to stand trial. Geyser's schizophrenia was continually left untreated for 19 months, leading to her to remain in a state of psychosis or out of touch with the reality. Uh, in December, um, she was sent back to Winnebago and given antipsychotics, which later allowed Geyser to feel remorse after cleaning her mind or clearing her mind. Um, and then on March 23rd, 2016, Geyser was sent back to jail with medication where she ra- oh, sorry, with uh, the medication where she rapidly deteriorated. Um, for the court case, uh, following the investigation, Geyser was charged with attempted uh, first-degree homicide, a Class A felony. Weir was charged with attempted second-degree homicide, a Class B felony. Uh, due to the nature of the offenses, both Weir and Geyser were waived out of juvenile court as uh, to be tried as adults. Oh. So, getting charged ad- as adults. Um, so, in 2017, not that long ago... <laughs> Uh, Weir pleaded guilty to being a party to attempt second degree homicide. A jury found her, quote, not guilty by mental disease or defect. Uh, Geyser attempt, uh, accepted a plea offer, which under uh, she would not go to trial and would be evaluated by a psychiatrist to determine how long she should be placed in a mental hospital. Uh, she would later pleaded guilty, but was uh, found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Uh, from which her father also suffers. Oh. Which is interesting. Uh, Weir was sentenced to 25 to life um, and an indeterminate sentence involving at least three years of locked confinement and involuntary treatment at a state psychiatric institute, followed by communal supervision until the age of 37. Geyser was given the maximum sentence. 40 years to life. Jeez. An indeterminate sentence involving at least three years of con- locked confinement <laughs> in addition to involuntary uh, treatment in, like, in a psychiatric institute, uh, so hostage, uh, institute uh, until completion of resolution of symptoms or in the t- until the age of 53, whichever may happen first. Wow. Uh, followed by the continued uh, communal supervision, periodic reevaluations or reinstitution, and further treatment as needed as required by the sentence imposed. While Geyser will periodically have the opportunity to petition for her release from the mental health facility in the future, she remained under the institutional care for the duration of the sentence. During her trial, Geyser had been committed to the Winnebago Mental Health Institute and was the youngest patient there. Jeez. At court, um, uh, in the court hearing on March 10th, 2021, Weir, who by then was 19, submitted a letter to the court saying that she was, quote, deeply sorry and uh, regretful for the agony, pain, and fear that I have caused, not just to Lutner, but to the rest of my community as well. Where stated that, quote, I hate my actions on May 31st, 2014, but throughout countless hours of therapy, I no longer hate myself for them. On July 1st, 2021, Waukesha County Judge Michael uh, Bowren ordered we're released from the Winnebago Mental Health Institute, gave state officials uh, 60 days to drop a, a conditional release plan that and required that we be assigned to the Department of uh, Health and Services case managers to track her progress until she is 37, uh, the length of her confinement. Uh, 
on uh, September 13th, 2021, Weir was released with multiple stipulations to include 24-hour GPS monitoring, requiring her not to leave Waukesha County without permission. Weir uh, will also have her internet uses monitored and will not be allowed to use any forms of social media. Which is interesting. I have not heard that about a case before. Uh, Weir will also be required to take medication. It will be peer, uh, personally escorted to regular counseling sessions by a caseworker. She will also be required to live uh, with her father during her probation. Um, she did file an appeal in 2021. The appeals court rejected uh, Geyser's petition to be uh, ret- uh, retried as a juvenile. Her attorney, Matthew uh, Pinnix, argued that uh, she should have been charged with attempted second-degree homicide rather than first-degree and argued that Geysers uh, gave statements to investigators uh, before they read her her Miranda rights. Uh, he has petitioned with the Supreme Court of Wisconsin after the review of the ruling, and uh, the Supreme Court came back in early 2021 and said, get fucked. So, Jeez, I mean... They were like, no, no. they they It was clearly planned, and they, you know... It for a reason, yeah. Um, I would agree with that. In, that it was more first degree than second, yeah. In the aftermath of the stabbing, the creepy pasta wiki was blocked throughout the Waukesha school district on Tuesday. The following, uh, Tuesday following the stabbing, the Slenderman creator Eric uh Knudsen, uh said, I'm deeply saddened by the tragedy in Wisconsin. My heart goes out to the families and all of those affected by this terrible act. Um, <laughs> this dude has I'm guessing this is his uh, his <laughs> I'm so sorry I'm guessing this is this guy's screen name but Schloss Train oh. uh, the administrator of the Creepypasta Wiki uh, said that the stabbing was an isolated incident and did not accurately represent the Creepypasta community he also stated that Creepypasta Wiki was a literary, literary website it did not condone any murder or satanic rituals Obviously, obviously, um, members of the creepy mods community held a 24 hour live stream on YouTube between June uh, 13th and 14th, 2014, to raise money for the stabbing victim, which is badass. Oh, it is. Uh, Jojo Watsky, an administrator on the creepypasta website, said that the purpose of the live stream was to show the members of the community who cared for the victim and uh, did not condone any real world violence because they enjoyed fiction that contains violence. It's just like you fucking people listening to the show. It's, you know, you like weird shit. You like it's 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 the way, you know. Yeah. Uh, people like what they like. Doesn't mean we're going to go kill people. On August 12th, uh, Governor Scott Walker issued a proclamation declaring Wednesday, August 13, 2014, Purple Hearts for Healing Day. Encouraged people of Wisconsin to wear purple on that day to honor the victim of the stabbing. He also praised the strength and determination uh, exhibited by Lutner uh, during her recovery. The city of Madison, Wisconsin, held a one-day Bratwurst Festival in honor of Lutner on August 29th, several days before the victim returned to school. Hot dogs and bratwurst were sold to raise money towards the victim's medical costs, and the event ran over 250 volunteers and raised over $70,000 for her. Wow, that's a lot of hot Fucking dogs and bratwurst. amazing. Good job. Very I, proud of all of you. I mean, it's very cool that they did that. Uh, I feel like... It's very the Wisconsin. Bra- yeah, I was gonna say that whole thing is very, <laughs> very Wisconsin. Like, 
go, you know, we got to help these kids, you know, these kids are just, she just had the <laughs> toughest time. And, you know, I think I know it's going to just kind of heal that hole in her heart. You know what I mean? It's going to be all this bratwurst and hot dogs. And I fucking love that for some reason. That's so, we cu- it's so cute. Aaron Rodgers came out here and threw a block of cheese to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Rodgers came out here and he just said, he said, oh, I got you, bud. I got you. I brought worst here, pal. I love that. I, I think that's just a really cute way to end that story. I think I just, I love it. It's so wholesome and so sweet. Um, but from here on out, I did a warning at the beginning of the show. From here on out, it is about to get fucking dark. Like lights off dark. All right. It's gonna get fucked up. I, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm no like I keep saying that. Literally, the story. The story I'm about to tell and the story after, um, are some of the most awful shit that I've ever had to like type out and read. Um, specifically, the story after this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And tell the story of because it's fucking terrifying. So, all right. Um, now that we've heard stories of child arsonists who killed us or killed his family, and how two twelve-year-olds try to kill their friend, it only makes sense that we talk about a serial killer. All right. Craig Chandler Price, born October eleventh, nineteen seventy-three, born and raised in in Warwick, Rhode Island. Price made history and the darkest ways a human can by becoming a serial killer at just 13 years old. Jesus Christ. So Price committed his first murder at the age of 13 in Warwick, Rhode Island on the night of July 27th, 1987. Price broke into a home that was only two houses away from his own, whereupon he took a knife from the kitchen and stabbed 27-year-old Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Spencer 58 times, killing her. Jesus. A little over two years later, Price was 15-year-old freshman in high school when he murdered three other neighbors on September 1st, 1989. Price, high on marijuana and LSD... I'm sorry. This, this part's really fucked up and it's making me... I'm gonna get, like, sick. Uh, sorry. Um, excuse me. Um, he um, he stabbed 39-year-old um, Joan Heaton 57 times, her 10-year-old daughter Jennifer uh, 62 times, and crushed uh, Heaton's 7-year-old daughter's uh, Melissa's head and inflicted uh, 30 stab wounds to her. Jesus Sorry. Christ. Um, uh, the stabbings were so brutal that the handles of the knives uh, broke off during the attack and the blades were uh, left inside of the victims. Uh, sorry. <sighs> That's gnarly. Yeah. That's absolutely. At 15 years old. Jesus. Um, at the time, the brutality of the murders was mostly <laughs> unknown due to Price's sealed records. Uh, according to law enforcement officials, Price had no remorse when confessing to the crimes. Uh, and as for a motive, Price himself claimed racism by white people uh, beginning uh, when he was a young child was a factor. And that the first time he wanted someone to die is when a group of white adults allegedly shouted racial slurs at him and tried to run him over with the car when he was a young boy. Uh, he's an African-American man. Um, 
Price calmly uh, confessed to his crimes when he after he was discovered. He was arrested a month before his 16th birthday. Uh, he was tried and convicted as a minor. Wow. Uh, again, this is 87. Yeah. Uh, by law, this meant that the, he would be released and his criminal records would be sealed until he was 21. Price uh, bragged that he would, quote, make history when he was released. And the case that led to the changes in state law to allow juveniles to be tried as adults uh, for serious crimes, um, but these could not be applied retroactively to Price. Uh, Rhode Island residents formed a group of citizens opposed to the release of Craig Price to lobby for his uh, continued imprisonment due to the brutality of his crimes and the opinion of the state psychologist that he was a poor candidate for re- rehabilitation. Um, during his incarceration, Price had been charged with additional crimes, including um, criminal contempt for refusing a psychological evaluation, extortion for threatening corrections officer, assault and violation of probation, um, sorry, violation of probation for fights while in prison. He was um, sentenced to an additional 10 to 25 years, depending on his cooperation with treatment. Uh, Craig Price is the youngest serial killer in U.S. history. Wow. Um, At the time that he has been incarcerated, he has also found ways to rack up more charges. Uh, An officer from the Rhode Island uh, Department of Corrections said Price has been booked twice for fighting uh, since leaving adult correctional institutions in Cranston. Um, Price was denied parole in March 2009. His (coughs) release uh, was set for May of 2020. In 2004, he was transferred from Rhode Island to Florida to serve time due to his violent tendencies. Uh, in Florida, July 20, uh, 29, 2009, Craig was involved in a prison fight with another inmate. While breaking up the fight, one of the corrections officers was stabbed uh, in the finger by a handmade shiv in Price's possession. In the wake of the, the prison fight, Price was transferred to another facility. On April 4th, 2017, Price was accused of stabbing a fellow inmate, Joshua Davis, in the uh, Swanee Correctional Institution in Live Oak, Florida, with a five-inch homemade knife. On uh, July 18th, 2019, he was sentenced to 25 years for his crime, and he is still currently incarcerated. I mean, honestly, good, because that doesn't seem like someone who should be out in the public. No. Sorry, I got a little teary out there. That, uh, That story fucked me up. Yeah, that one's pretty gnarly. Yeah, no, that's absolutely understandable, justifiable, and yeah. So these next two stories is they're gonna kind of one's gonna play into the next one, essentially. Um, it it's gonna it. I know I said it's gonna get dark, and it got dark. It got real fucking quiet in here. Um, but you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So, 1997, Titanic, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Men in Black, and if we more questionable fashion choices ruled the day, and they were all the rage. Um, I'm sure that it was being talked about in the town of uh, West Paddock, Kentucky. Um, school was just about to be in session at Heath High School. The sounds of gossip and slamming lockers filled the halls in this alerting establishment. 14-year-old Michael Carneal was riding with his sister. He was carrying a long object wrapped in a blanket. He dismissed his sister worries uh, when she asked what it was, and he said, oh, it was just an art project that he was working on. In reality, it was a shotgun and a rifle. 
At approximately 7.45 a.m., they arrived at school. Carniel then reached into his pocket, grabbed his earplugs, and asserted them into his ears. As he exited the vehicle, he reached into his bag, grabbing the loaded Ruger Mark II .22 caliber pistol, and began to fire. He fired 10 shots into the crowd, but no clear target. According to survivor Brittany Thomas, she turned to face the noises and was, quote, staring down the barrel of a gun. Another member of the group, Benjamin Strong, testified that Carnell dropped the gun on his own accord after the shooting and surrendered to the principal saying, kill me, please. I can't believe I did that. But the damage was done. Three were dead. Five were injured. Of the dead was Nicole uh, Hadley, a 14-year-old freshman who played uh, in the school band and was on the freshman basketball team. She was kept alive until 10 p.m. the evening of the shooting. Her family had just moved to Patica from Nebraska the year prior. Her parents were praised for donating her organs um, after her death. President Bill Clinton cited this courageous uh, decision in his proclamation 7083 on National Organ and uh, Tissue Donor Awareness Week in 1998. Um, Jessica James was a 17-year-old student and member of the marching band. Uh, she died in surgery um, that afternoon. Um, Casey Steger was a 14-year-old uh, sophomore, a clarinetist at the school band, and a member of the Agop group and softball team. Uh, she died um, in the hospital about 45 minutes after the shooting. Uh, she was a honor student and member of Law Enforcement Explorers Post 111 and wanted to be a police officer. Of those wounded who did survive is... Um, Shelly uh, Schauberg, who was 17, she was described by a principal as the school's best female athlete, voted Miss Heath uh, High School by senior class. Shelly was homecoming queen. Although her injuries from the shooting prevented her from playing basketball, her college honored her basketball scholarship, <coughs> and she went on to play college soccer. No. And um, Melissa Missy Jenkins, 15, was the president of the future homework, uh, Homemakers of America. Um, she was paralyzed from the chest down after being shot. Uh, she was, uh, she appeared on numerous, uh, national and local television shows, um, talked to newspaper reporters and appeared on two TV commercials for channel one news an educational channel that reaches schools throughout the country, throughout the country. And, um, she was actually featured on the homepage of YouTube in, um, 2007. Um, uh, Kelly hard, uh, all was 16 at the time. She was a member of the softball team and the future homemakers of America. Um, and then she eventually got out of that school due to some PTSD. Uh, Holland Holm was 14, was a member of the academic, uh, academic team, the Spanish club, the science. He was a science Olympiad. Um, his uh, Val Victoria's speech in the class of 2001 graduation. He reminded the class that, that they had uh, lost not one, but two class members on December 1st, 1997. Um, both Nicole Hadley and Michael Carniel and um, sorry, um, you know, they had uh, lost his two classmates that were f essentially friends of his. Um, Holm had been involved in a uh, organization that urges the students to speak up if they know any threats against schools or students. 
and Craig <laughs> Nee was 15. Um, he was in a, he was in the school band and was on a basketball team for the school. So completely random kids that yeah. didn't even know this guy. Um, so Michael Adam uh, Carnell was a 14 year old freshman at the time of the shooting. Carnell told reporters that he could not give a single explanation for his crimes and that the contributing factors included a mistaken belief that his parents did not love him, uh, taunting from his classmates and false claims that he was gay. Uh, he stated that he did not know he was aiming at until he read the names in the paper. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, weeks before the incident, Carnell stole a .38 caliber handgun from his parents' room and attempted to sell it. A student took the handgun, threatening to call the police if Carnell did not give it to him. Carnell uh, had told students that, quote, something big is going to happen on Monday, and no one took him seriously. In the weeks before the shooting, Carnell stole firearms, several firearms from his own home and a neighbor's home. On the afternoon of Thanksgiving Day, Carnell went to his neighbor's home and broke into the garage, taking four twenty-two rifles, a thirty-thirty rifle, .22, and .12 gauge ammunition, earplugs. He then later stole the Ruger that he used and several uh, .22 magazines. Um, so presumably sometime after Thanksgiving Day, Carnell uh, stole two additional shotguns from his father's closet and hid him under his bed. Um... According to reports, Carnell had been bullied by other students and had anxiety and depression and severe paranoia. His paranoia was manifested in habits such as covering up vents and windows while in bathrooms because he believes uh, he was being watched. Following the shooting, Carnell was diagnosed with uh, schizotypal personality disorder and uh, dysthymia, um, which I'm not entirely familiar with. Which is, excuse me, it's a type of uh, persistent depressive disorder. Um, Catherine O'Connor, who treated Carnell when he was incarcerated at the North Count, uh, Kentucky Youth Development Center, initially agreed with the diagnosis, but later determined that Carnell had paranoid schizophrenia. Um, Dewey Connell and Diane Shetsky, who evaluated Carnell after the shooting, uh, later changed their diagnosis to schizophrenic. Uh, he was hospitalized several times on the start of his incarceration due to psychosis and takes antidepressants of Zoloft and uh, Geodon and antipsychotic use, obviously, to treat schizophrenia. Um, so Carnell had a copy of Stephen King's novel Rage. Uh, in his locker at the time of the shooting. It was published in 1977 under the pseudonym uh, Richard Bachman. After the shooting, King uh, requested his publisher allowed to go out of print, fearing that it might inspire similar tragedies. Hmm. Rage for the time uh, continued to be available in, in the UK at, at his uh, bookstore that he has out there, but now there is no... Um, bookstore that carries the book rage because of the shooting um yeah that's crazy that that like you just can't find that book anymore now yeah i mean i'm sure you can find it but But it'd be a challenge yeah Mm -hmm. um so he goes to trial in october of 1998 uh a plea of guilty from michael carneal was accepted due to his mental illness 
under the plea agreement, the judge agreed to accept um, the plea on condition that Carnell would receive a life sentence with, with the possibility of parole after 25 years, which is in 2022. Um, according to prosecutor uh, Tim uh, Kaltenbach, the plea allows Carnell to receive mental tr- health treatment during imprisonment as long as this necessarily uh, this necessary for him or until he is released. Um, he was then transported to the Kentucky State Reformatory in LaGrange when he turned 18, which is where he remains. Um, prior to that, he was held in North Kentucky Youth Development Center, and he kind of just bounced around in different places over the years as he grew up and had to go to some different correctional facilities. Um, in 2007, he filed an appeal claiming that he was too mentally ill to plead guilty to the shooting at Heath High School. He asked Kentucky Supreme Court for a retrial. Prosecutors appealed, and the Kentucky Supreme Court rejected his request. Get fucked. Carnell will continue to serve out his sentence. Good. Uh, in 2021, he attempted to withdraw his plea, his plea claiming he was mentally ill at the time. He made it. <laughs> uh, later in the year, the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals denied the request. Get fucked. Stating that he should have acted sooner. You stupid bitch. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to talk about shit as I can. These fucking scumbags. Yeah. yeah. Um, he originally was scheduled to be eligible for parole in November 16, 2022. However, his hearing is, was scheduled for September of 19, 2022. Um, and I'm I'm not entirely sure, or, or I guess right here, I, I must have added it. Uh, on September 26, 2022, the parole board unanimously denied Carnell's bid for parole and ordered him to serve out the remainder of his life sentence. Good. Later, bitch. The quote, serve out ruling under Kentucky law means the inmate in question cannot be considered for any possible future parole hearings. Oh. He's gone. This means Carnell's life with, with parole sentence is now effectively life without parole or whole life sentence. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing, really, but that's fucking crazy. Yep. It's pretty, it's pretty gnarly, huh? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, kind of just deserves to stay in prison. But. Yeah. Oh, fucking, fucking fries ass. Yeah, that that that. It's just so like. Yeah, it's such a such a tough one. You know, it's. I mean, it's fucked up all around. And I'm so yeah. I'm so the one time the courts work. Yeah. You know, and they're like, <laughs> they're like, you should have acted sooner, stupid. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but little did anyone know about the shooting that it was only the beginning of how Americans look at schools. Yeah. This next um, part, and I'm going to uh, spoil her now, is going to continue into part two after this. Um, it, it's already, it's, this episode's already pretty heavy and it's already pretty dark. Yeah. But we'll just get into it. You guys ready? As ready as you guys I can mentally be. prepared for this one? Uh. As, as much as we can be? Yep. Okay. April 20th, 1999. 11.18 a.m. Columbine, Colorado. In just 60 seconds, an event so violent and tragic will change the way the world looks at schools in the United States. 
While the perpetrators of this massacre are technically adults at the time of this, it occurred shortly after their 18th birthdays, and for the sake of the argument, I've included in this episode. This is the story of the Columbine High School Massacre. In a murder spree that just la- that lasted less than one hour, 15 were dead and 24 were injured, and a nation was forever changed. Who committed such a horrific and barbaric act? <coughs> Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris. So, Eric Harris was born on April 9th, 1981. In Wichita, Kansas, the Harris family relocated often as Harris's father was U.S. Air Force transport pilot and his mother was a homemaker. The family moved to uh, Plattsburgh, New York to Littleton, Colorado and uh, sorry, from Plattsburgh, New York to Littleton, Colorado in July of 1993 when his father retired from military service. Thank you for your service, sir. The Harris family lived in in uh, accommodations for their first three years in the Littleton area. During this time, Harris attended uh, Ken Claro Middle School, where he met Klebel. In 1996, Harris uh, purchased a house um, just south of um, Columbine High School. Harris's older brother attended college at the University of Colorado Boulder. As for Dylan Klebel, uh, he was born on September 11th, 1981. Uh, in uh, Lakewood, Colorado. His parents were pacifists and attended Lutheran Church uh, with their children. Both Dylan and his older brother Byron attended uh, uh, confirmation uh, classes in accordance with the Lutheran uh, tradition, um, as had been the case with his older brother. Uh, Klebold was named after a renowned poet. In his case, the playwright Dylan Thomas. At the family home, the Klebolbs were observed for some rituals in keeping up with the Klebolbs' maternal grandfather's Jewish heritage. Klebolb attended uh, Normandy Elementary in Littleton, Colorado for the first and second grade before transferring to Governor's Ranch and later became um, a, quote, uh, this building known as the Challenging High Intelligence Potential Students Program. Oh. It was a very intelligent kid. Uh, is that just like... I essentially like the tag program, right? Where it's just like talented and gifted kids. I believe so. It's something along those lines. Yeah. So in 1996, 15-year-old Eric Harris created a private website on America Online, AOL. Um, it was initially to host levels known as uh, WADs, I guess. Um, Harris used to create in a first-person shooter video game. Um Oh, so yeah, used uh, created for use uh, in the first person sh- uh, video games Doom, Doom Two, and Quake. Uh, I literally just played uh, fucking Doom Two the other day. Um, before I even wrote this episode, which is super crazy, when I was writing, when I was getting into this, uh, on the side, Harris began a blog, which included details about Harris sneaking out of the house to cause mischief and vandalism, <laughs> such as lighting fireworks with D- uh, with Cleobulb and others. Teenage fuck around being stupid, yeah. you know, fucking little scumbag kids, you know, like, oh, let's go spray paint the fucking side of the building, you know, shit like that. Yeah. Um, these were known as rebel missions. What is fucking stupid name? Uh, Harris's blog, um, primarily consisted of a mission logs. Beginning in early 1997, the blog postings began to show signs of Harris's anger against society. By the end of the year, the site contained instructions on how to make explosives. 
Here's a site attracted more visitors visitors and caused no concern until August of 1997 after Harris ended a blog post detailing the murderous fantasies with quote all I want to do is kill and injure as many of you as I can especially a few people uh, like Brooks Brown Brown was a classmate of his uh, after Brown's pre- uh, parents viewed the site uh, and contacted Jefferson County Sheriff's Office on August 7th, 1997, an investigator wrote a draft affidavit to request a search warrant for Harris's household, but it was never submitted to a judge. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. On January 30th, 1998, Harris and Klebold were arrested for breaking into a white van parked near Littleton and stealing goods, uh, stealing tools and computer equipment. Uh, They would subsequently attend a joint hearing where they pled guilty to felony theft. The judge sent them to the juvenile diversion program. As a result, both delinquents attended mandatory classes such as anger (coughs) management and talk with diversion officers. Um, they both were, uh, eventually released from diversion, uh, several weeks early because of positive actions to the program and they were put on probation. Hmm. So, um, they've always, I mean, it went from teenage fuck around, like we're going to play doom and shit, you know, like it's, it's yeah. people in fucking video games and it started escalating a little bit more and the the signs of the shooting were so fucking obvious so early. Yeah. But obviously it's an unthinkable act. Um but it's insane that they they never <laughs> never sent that to a judge. I just don't, I, that's the one uh, I I I I hope I I'm going to put it there. I hope that guy fucking beats himself up overnight because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I really I really really do. Um Shortly after the court hearing and the van break-in, Harris reverted to his website back uh, to just hosting user-created levels of doom. He began to write his thoughts down on a journal. Klebold had already uh, began uh, keeping a personal journal since March of 1997. As uh, early as November of that year, Klebold had mentioned that he was going to go on a killing spree. Klebold used his journal to vent his personal problems as uh, what he would wear and use during the attack. In both their journals, Harris and Klebold would later plot the attack. Soon after beginning his journal, uh, Harris typed out a uh, one plan of attack, which included possibly escaping to a foreign country after the massacre or hijacking an aircraft at Denver International Airport and crashing it into New York City. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. Um... Harris also made entries in his journal on topics relating to his sexuality, where he described his uh, desire for sex with women, uh, especially his desire for raping and torturing women in his bedroom. Harris also expressed his interest in cannibalism, stating that he would like to dismember a woman uh, whom which he could have animalistic sex with and then eat her flesh. So... I at, at one at some point you got to think that his fucking parents are just like coming in like, duck, 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 duck. honey, what you writing? It's like, oh nothing, mom. It's like okay, You're not writing about fucking wanting to eat eat dead women, right? It's like no, nah, no, nah. nah, definitely not. We never. Okay. Not a chance. But again, it's an unspeakable act that no parent expects. Yeah. Maybe should be paying a little too more closer attention to kids. 
Um, so Harrison Klebold's schoolwork also foreshadowed the massacre. They both uh, display themes of violence in their creative writing projects. In December 1997, Harris wrote a paper on school shootings titled Guns in School and a poem of a perspective of a bullet. Klebold wore a uh, wrote a short story about a man killing students in which his teacher which worried his teacher so much that she alerted his parents. <laughs> Good job, teacher. Yeah, honestly. Um both had also actively researched war and murder. For one project, Harris wrote a paper on Nazis, um, and Klebold wrote a pa- a paper on Charles Manson. Um now if you were in a class where that was supposed to happen. A little bit different story yeah. about the inhumane acts that these people took, but I'm guessing that it wasn't the case. Right. In a psychology class, Harris wrote that he dreamed of going to on a shooting spree with Cleveland. Harris journals described several experimental bomb detonation methods. Um, nearly a year before the massacre, D- uh, Cleveland wrote a message in, Har- in Harris's 1998 yearbook, killing enemies, blowing up stuff, killing cops. My wrath for January's incident will be godlike, not to mention our revenge in the commons. The commons was slang for the school ta- cafeteria, which is definitely foreshadowing later on. Yeah. Yish. Yeah, it's fucking intense. Yeah, a lot of anger, a lot of rage right away. Right. So, um, Dylan uh, Klebold and Eric Harris were both enrolled in video production classes and kept five videotapes that uh, recorded with uh, school video equipment. Only two of these, um, quote, Hitman for Hire and Rampart Range, were part of a third known as radioactive clothing have been released. The other two have not. The remaining, those are the remaining three tapes detail their plans uh, and reasons for the massacre, including the ways that they have hid their weapons and deceiving their parents. Most were shot in the Harris family basement and are thus known as the basement tapes, which I have actually seen. Um, and they are fucking wild. Like, yeah. oh my god. Um, 30 minutes before the attack, they made a final video saying goodbye and apologizing to their friends and family, which I've also seen. And that one is fucking scary. Like, I, 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 I've done, I, I've talked about during we did Jonestown. I, I listened to the death tapes. Yeah. That way no one else had to, has to, you know, cause like some podcasts will, will play that shit. Um, if you want to fucking find it, go find it yourself. I'm not going to give it to you. Um, but fuck me, man. That was quite, it was, it gives me like chills thinking about it. Yeah. It was, it, it, imagine looking into the eyes of a person like fucking John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy right before they're about to kill. It was like that, but it was two teenagers. Jeez. Wow. And it was just a fucking, they were like, they're like joking around and they're like, oh, fucking, they're pulling t- like the tech nine out of the, I mean, just, <laughs> it's f- so fucking scary. It's yeah. so scary. And it was scary that it's fucking real. That's what's so scary about it. Um, 
In December of 1999, before anyone uh, besides the investigators had seen them, Time Magazine published an article on these tapes. The victim's family members threatened to sue Jefferson County. Uh, as a result, select victim's family and journalists were allowed to view them, uh, though the tapes were then withheld from the public and uh, in 2011 destroyed for fear for aspiring future massacres. Uh, trans, uh, <coughs> transcripts of some of the dialogue and short clips uh, reported uh, uh, superstitiously by victims uh, still exist and there is uh, some footage still out there it's not the full tapes but it's just a little bit of footage and that's the ones that I saw uh, the pair claimed that they were going to make copies of the tapes and send them to the news stations but never did so um, when an economics class uh, had Harris make an ad for a business he and Klebold made a videotape called Hitman for Hire on December 8th, 1998, which was released in 2004. Um, it, it depicts them as part as sorry, it depicts them as part of the trench coat mafia, uh, a cliche in in the school who wrote uh, who wore black trench coats and opposed opposed jocks, extorting money for protecting uh, preps from bullies. Klebold and Harris described them. Uh, Klebold and uh, excuse me, Klebold and Harris themselves were apparently not part of the trench coat mafia, but were friends with some of its members. <laughs> they wore uh, black trench coats on the day of the massacre, and the Hitman for Hire video seems to kind of dress, uh, be a dress rehearsal for it, uh, showing them walking the school halls and shooting bullies outside with fake guns. Jesus. Uh, on October 21st, 2003, a video was released showing the pair doing target practice on March 6, 1999, and the uh, foothills known as Rampart Ridge with the weapons they would use in the massacre. And that is the other one that I saw. Uh, just bits and pieces of that. Um, before the massacre, Harris left a micro cassette labeled Nixon on the kitchen table. Uh, on it, uh, Harris said, quote, it's less than nine hours now placed in the recording sometime around 2.30 a.m. He went on to say, people will die because of me, and quote, it will be a day that will be remembered forever. God. Take a, take a breather for a second. It, uh, it absolutely surprises me that only one teacher ever, like, actually paid attention, like, reported something, because, like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like with the Hitman for Hire video, like, I don't know. If you see that, you probably should, like, have a talk with somebody, whether it's the parents or the kids or there, send them to a counselor. There, There is a photo that I will put uh, on our socials. You guys can look at it. But a few months before the shooting occurred, they actually took their class photo. You know, with all of them, mm-hmm. um, where Dylan Klebold, Eric Harris, and some of his friends are in the back, and they're kind of making this like rifle looking down the sights yeah. kind of thing. And to someone who, I mean, like I said, this isn't a thing that's common. It wasn't common, you know. Yeah. So they're like, oh, they're fucking, yeah, you know, it's like shooting, you know, shit like that. Yeah. And so they're right. just like, oh, they're just being weird, you know, like those goofballs, you know. Not realizing that a few months later, tragedy would strike. So, in the months prior to the attacks, Harris and Klebold acquired two nine millimeters uh, firearms and two twelve gauge shotguns. Um, 
They were uh, one was a high point nine on five carbine rifle kind of thing, and the other one was uh, similar. It was a Tech Nine. Um, uh, Harris had the high point nine on five carbine with uh, thirteen ten round magazines and the Savage Springfield uh, seventy six pump action shotgun. Klebold used a nine millimeter uh, Intertech Tech Nine semi-automatic handgun with one fifty two, one thirty two, and one twenty round magazine. Uh, and a Stevens 311 Delta double barreled shotgun. Harris shotgun was sawed off around 26 inches <laughs> and Cleveland shortened his shotgun's length to 23 inches, a felony under the uh, National Firearms Act. Um, on November 22nd, 1998, one of their, uh, their friends, Robin Anderson, purchased a carbine rifle and the two shotguns for the pair at the Tanner gun show as they were too young to legally purchase the guns themselves. After the attack, she told investigators she had done so to believe the pair wanted weapons for target shooting and denied she had prior knowledge of their plans. Anderson was not charged later on, which is fucking insanity. Um, but whatever. Uh, Harrison and Klebold held part-time jobs at the local Blackjack Pizza. Uh, though uh, Philip Duran, a coworker, uh, Klebold brought a Tech Nine handgun from um, sorry, bought a Tech Nine handgun from Mark Maines for five hundred dollars at another gun show in January twenty third. Maines, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> yeah, Maines is a girlfriend, um, and Duran were all uh, a part of the ramp rampant rampart rampage video. The one they were shooting in the woods. Yeah. Um, after the massacre, main, uh, Mans and Duran were both prosecuted. Each were charged with supplying a handgun to a minor and possession of a sawn-off shotgun. Mains and Duran were sentenced to a total of six years and four and a half years in prison. But the other girl wasn't. Oh. Fucking funny how that works, That's, huh? Doesn't make a lot of really sense odd. there. Yeah. Doesn't make a, any fucking sort of sense. Um... In addition to the firearms, the complex and highly planned attack involved several uh, IEDs or improvised explosive devices. Good. Harris and Klebold constructed a total of 99 bombs. Wow. These included pipe bombs, carbon monoxide cartridges filled with gunpowder called crickets. Apparently, Molotov cocktails, propane tanks converted into bombs. The propane tanks were used um, later on um, in a in the cafeteria and in, in, in uh, sh- the shooter's cars and another location intended as a diversion for ignition. They used storm matches, cannon fuses, model rocket igniters, as well as timing devices built from mechanical alarm clocks for the propane bombs. Uh, during the massacre, they carried match strikers, taped their forearms for easy ignitions of pipe bombs and CO2 bombs. Jesus Christ. It well, They fucking had every single thing planned out. Yeah. This is only just the prep. This, is, yeah. this isn't even the fucking the bad part yet. This isn't even the bad part yet. <laughs> um, oh, God. <sighs> Next, next week's going to be fucking brutal and I'm not, I'm not ready for it. Um, I'm laughing because I'm fucking sick to my stomach. Uh, Harris also experimented with napalm and envisioned a kind of backpack and flamethrower. 
they both attempted to get another fr- uh, friend and their coworker, Chris Morris, who was part of the Trenchcoat Mafia, to keep the napalm in his house, but he refused. <laughs> Harris also tried to recruit him as the third shooter, but played it off as a joke when he rebuked. Yeah. And like not a very good joke. <laughs> no. And yeah. not only that, like he just didn't he was like, Oh, I'm joking. And the guy was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course you were. <laughs> like you, you wanna come shoot the school with us? And then he's like, What? He's like, no, I'm just fucking with you, man. Like, like, it's like that's what? not a very, that's not a very funny joke. No. I don't like that joke. Um Harris's website contained instructions on how to make pipe bombs and Molotovs that we kind of talked about earlier and the extensive use of shrapnel. Uh Harris's father once discovered one of his pipe bombs. Uh Harris's journal logged the creation of 25 of them. Um Klebold scared his coworkers once by bringing a pipe bomb into work. They would give various nicknames to their pipe bombs. After the massacre, two pipe bombs have been left in Klebold's bedroom, one named Vengeance and another one named Atlanta, presumably uh, named after the Olympic Park bombing. Jesus. So, um, this is kind of skipping a little ahead to next week, um, but we're on, this, we're on the topic of these guys creating bombs, so we'll continue into it. Mm-hmm. They uh, had in their possession eight propane tanks all converted into bombs. <laughs> the weekend before the shooting, Harris and Klebold brought two propane tanks. I'm uh, sorry, I bought two propane tanks and uh, other supplies in the hardware store. They had bought six propane tanks in the morning of the attack. Harris had um, Harris was caught on a Texaco gas station security camera around 9-12 a.m. binding a Rhino propane tank. Both cafeteria bombs included a 20-pound tank attached to pipe bombs and supporting gasoline canisters alongside. Uh, in their cars, uh, both car bombs... Um, sorry, in their car, both car bombs were made of two 20-pound propane tanks. Uh, pipe bombs and various other containers filled with gasoline were spread throughout the vehicle. Eight pipe bombs were placed in Cleo's car and one in Eric's car. Um... Uh, Harris and Klebold were both equipped with knives, but investigators do not believe they ever uh, utilized them during the massacre. Um, Harris had a boot knife on his belt, um, a quote, Kyber pass, a machete bowie knife taped to his back of his ankle. Uh, Both had an R uh, referencing Harris's uh, alias R.E.B., um, etched into the handle, and the machete had a swastika on a sheath. Klebold uh, had a cobra knife mounted to his belt on the left side, as well as a switchblade in his right pocket. So, on Tuesday morning, April 20, 1999, Klebold uh, and Harris placed two devil bags in the cafeteria. Uh, each bag contained propane tanks set to detonate during uh, the A lunch shift, which began at 11.15 a.m. Uh, no witnesses were called seeing the duffel bags being uh, added to the 400 or so backpacks that were already in the cafeteria. Uh, security staff at Columbine High School did not observe the bags being placed in the cafeteria. The custodian was uh, replacing the school's security tape 
around 11.14 a.m. Shortly after the massacre, police speculate the bombs were placed during this tape change. Um, They also investigated whether the bombs were placed uh, during the, quote, after prom party, uh, which is held the weekend prior. Uh, Some internet sleuths claim the bomb placement had been seen on surveillance footage around uh, 10.58 a.m., Harris and Klebold were seen in the tapes planting bombs in the casual uh, school clothes separately. Um, Jefferson County Sheriff's um, deal, Deputy Neil Gardner was assigned to the high school and was a full-time school resource officer. Gardner uh, usually ate lunch with the students in the cafeteria, uh, but on April 20th, he was eating lunch in his patrol car on the northwest corner of the campus, watching st- the students in the Smoker's Pit in Clement Park a meadow adjacent to the school, which is really funny. They had a smoker's pit because at my high school, we also had a smoker's pit. There was one of mine too. It was right across the street. It was, ours was almost on the same property. Only a separate, it was a fence. It was, just, it was the church. Right. And we would, we would just walk over there and like the security guard, I mean, security guards would just kind of look at us, but like they wouldn't even say anything. Be like, you're definitely doing to be some guards. You know, like, like just walk, like, you know, go over there and then smoke a couple cigarettes, come back. So our school had like across the street, like a big old tree that people would go to like our high school knew and they always tried to be like, don't do that. And then everyone would we'll do just it do anyways. it anyway. Yeah. What's we fucked up do it, anything. is at my school. We had a parking lot behind the building. Then I went to an alternative high school and the fucking principal would come out and smoke cigarettes too in the circle with the kids. Too. <laughs> oh my God. It, it's super fucked up. But at the same time, it's also kind of cool. Yeah. You know, right. where you're just like, you guys are going to do it anyway. So I'd yeah. rather you guys just be here. We can fucking watch your asses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And smoke cigarettes. I don't give a shit. You want to fucking destroy your fucking lungs? Destroy your fucking lungs. I don't give a fuck. Just, <laughs> just go, to, go to class. Um, anyway, um, Two backpacks filled with propane bombs, um, aerosol canisters, and a small propane bomb were also placed in a field about three miles south of Combine High School and two miles south of the fire station. The bombs were intended as a diversion to draw firefighters and emergency personnel away from the school. Only the pipe bomb, only the pipe bombs in one of the aerosol cans detonated, causing a small fire, which was quickly extinguished by the fire department. Uh, it went off. Uh, after first having been moved, bomb technicians immediately examined the bombs and relayed to police at the school the possibility of devices uh, with motion activators. Harris Cleveland changed their clothes and reportedly uh, separately to Columbine High School. Harris parked his vehicle in the junior student parking lot and Cleveland parked his in an adjoining senior, uh, senior parking lot. Um, the school's cafeteria was their primary uh, bomb target. The cafeteria had a long outside window wall, ground level doors, and was just north of the senior parking lot. The library was located above the cafeteria on the second story of the window wall. Each car, uh, like I said, did contain multiple bombs. Um, as Harris pulled in the parking lot, he encountered uh, classmate Brooks Brown, which whom he had recently patched up, um, pa- patched things up with a long, a long-standing series of disputes. Uh, according to Brown, who was smoking a cigarette, he was surprised to see uh, Harris, whom he had early noted uh, was absent from a class test. Harris, a, a good student, um, was 
unlikely to miss school days with an important academic obligation. He he fucking was as 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 fucking sketchy as a kid as he was. <laughs> Went to class. He was a good student, which is bizarre. Um, Brown berated Harris for missing the test. Harris, acting unconcerned, replied, "It doesn't matter anymore." Harris went on to say, Brooks, I like you now. Go home. Get out of here. Brown, feeling uneasy and already skipped, uh, prepared to skip his next class, walked away down South Pierce Street, escaping death that he didn't know was coming. Jesus. A dude that he was wanted to kill all along. And he's just in the last few months patched things up with him and he let him walk. God. So fuck. Oh, man. It gives you like goosebumps. It gives me fucking chills. Like, oh, so it's just, oh, man. Um, Meanwhile, Harrison Klebold began to arm themselves. Using straps and webbing to conceal the weapons beneath their trench coats, they lugged bags containing bombs and ammunition. Harris had concealed his shotgun in one of the bags. Beneath the trench coats, Harris wore a military bandolier and a white t-shirt with the inscription Nautical Natural Selection, excuse me, Natural Selection in big black letters, a mantra that he had adopted. Klebold wore a black shirt with words wrath in red letters across the chest. The cafeteria bombs failed to detonate. Had these explosives uh, detonated as intended, they would have killed or severely wounded the 488 students in the cafeteria and damaged the school's infrastructure, collapsing the library into the cafeteria, possibly killing hundreds. Wow. And that is we'll pick back up next week for part two of Kids Who Kill. Jeez, okay. With just minutes to go until the one of the worst school shootings in U.S. history. And I can't even say it's the worst because it's yeah. not. It's, it's not anymore. Nope. Not, at this, not, not now. Like, yeah. At the time, it absolutely was the absolute, like, worst thing. But, like... It, it only got worse. Yeah. Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> Made it through part one. <laughs> we'll come back next week for the conclusion of Kids Who Kill. Specifically, we're going to come right back to 11.19 a.m. at Columbine High School. Right as the bullets start. All right. Fuck me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, no shit. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is a... This is kind of going to be a start of some series that I want to do later on about spree shooters and in in and shooters like you know like mass shooters yeah because it's a fucking crazy epidemic that's affecting America violently um and there's not really a fucking stop to it like I mean I don't know how many fucking school shootings we've had this year. Um, a lot, a lot, already. yeah, and it just it keeps happening, you know, like um, 
It's like we we went to when we were in Vegas to go see the ghost inside. We went to Mandalay Bay. Yeah. And it was it fucking I don't know. I just I I, really I, eerie. I yeah, I just we we weren't there that long. I think we got there and we're like, oh, this is this this feels bad. I don't want to be here. Like just got this inkling in your body of like this is something. It just makes you just feel icky. Yeah. And it's terrifying to think that that happened there. Right. Yeah. But um anyway. Thank you so much for joining us on part one of Kids Who Kill. Um, sorry that it's a heavy, heavy episode, but it is a fascinating look into the minds of child killers. Yeah. You know? Um, and I, it, it's one of those things uh, that, um, like, well, I guess we have a moment to get into it, but like what, when you, when you look at like the, um, the, the kill, the, the school shoot we talked before, right? The, I mean, he was fucking, he was a literal kid coming in and shooting people. Yeah. Um, and he was diagnosed. I mean, it seems like there was a commentary on schizophrenia, 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 schizophrenia. Yeah. But like, at, at what point do we got to also shift the blame to the parents? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, like, the, this fucking, that kid broken into fucking his parents like he stole weapons from his dad broke into the neighbor's house stole his fucking weapons who's not who's not watching their goddamn kid yeah yeah like what like, the fuck like you didn't like i understand you want to have privacy for your kid because i mean he's also around the age where you know it's like fucking, you know like playing with his bell in but at the same time if he's at school you know it'd be like sherman coming home with a lot of weird shit and disappearing really like you know late in the night yeah. and shit we just look around for a second like or like, hey, where are my guns at? Yeah, I know yeah, where like, all my fucking guns are at. I, you know where all your guns are at. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like, yeah. what the fuck? You know, I just don't get it. And then like, the 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 in the Slenderman stabbings, it's like it's this, um, you know, they're they're twelve year old kids, you know, and they're fucking they they go and stab their friend for a fictional cryptid in a in a for an internet cryptid and it, at the same time it's also like how uninterested are these parents in their fucking kids that they're not looking like at all like i feel like yeah, you yeah. know like there's got to be some like the fucking the journals that these dickheads wrote you know like yeah. be like oh you're sure writing a lot like like my mom i used to i used to write a lot like but i i'd write music because i'm a fucking yeah, yeah. I'm a goddamn musician yeah. my mom would be like oh like i i, I like i would have it out she'd be like, yeah let's do some really good stuff you know it's just one of those things it's not like i i can't imagine the, these guys were fucking hiding these these things or like all the, the papers they wrote about wanting to kill people and shit and like no yeah. one no one fucking said anything and i just don't understand why i i, just, I don't get it i simply I know, do not understand yeah, no, you know I don't get it. the the only one that that even remotely, um, I can I can have a some sort of not reasoning for, <laughs> but like, um, can see in the psychology of is the 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 fucking that uh what's his name the the thirteen year old serial killer, you know? Oh yeah, who fucking crushed a kid's head. And fucking stabbed and just violent murders that is he did, 
Um, he claimed it was because he was there. You know, he hated white people and he, whatever. But clearly, there was other shit behind the scenes with this kid where he did yeah. not have the support structure, did not have you know anything, which is kind of left to his own devices. That's what it seems like, at least from what I read and what I what I told. You know that like no one really gave a shit, so you be- was able to become a fucking crazy person. And not that that's an excuse, yeah. But right. like you know, he just started fucking. He was like, "I'm crazy. I don't know what to do." So I'm just you know gonna follow his impulsive instinct because he's a fucking crazy person. Yeah. But like you know the the slender like the like I said the nine year old who got charged with arson. Like we talked about that in the very beginning of the show of like we're gonna have to like really watch this case for a while and find out where it goes because is is this kid a serial arsonist? Did he start that other fire? Did he you know did he start the fire on purpose or did he just fuck up? Like did he just do something yeah. stupid because he's a fucking nine year old kid? Yeah, you know, like with adults, it's so cut and dry. I feel like yeah, you know, we look at fucking Gacy, Bundy, Dahmer. Richard Ramirez, anybody, anybody that's a serial killer, and we're like, you know, son of Sam, and we're like, Gacy did it because he was a fucking pervert, and he was a fucking psychopath. Bunny did it because he was a fucking pervert, and he was a psychopath. Right. Um, Son of Sam did it because he was fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, crazy, crazy. Like, we've never done Son of Sam on the show, and I really want to do Son of Sam. I was going to say, I'd actually really like to cover Son of Sam. Insanity. Absolute, yeah. absolute insanity, but it's so cut and dry. You're able to do this, do this, and just kind of put these on. The, but these are fucking kids. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I just don't. It's not like, you know, adults. Adults, you can't really like watch. You know, they're living in their own fucking house, and that's why they they go, uh, and they're they're hidden for so long. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they're like. Then they finally slip up and they get caught and they're like, oh, I killed 30 fucking people. And they're like, okay, you're, you know, to the chair you go. Yeah. But with these, they're literal kids. You just yeah, go like, so hey, up. what you reading about? Oh, Slender Man, that's cool. And that's a whole bunch of stuff about you wanting to kill your friend. Yeah. Yeah. I, little, I don't. A little more like attentiveness. I, yes. Fucking literally, literally any. The, the, the Heath High School shooting could have easily been avoided. Columbine could have easily been avoided. Yeah. Almost all of these could have easily been avoided except for the serial killer one. The serial killer one, I don't think that could have easily been avoided. That kid was going to fucking kill somebody at some point or another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether he was an adult or a child, he was going to start killing people. Yeah. But everything else, the arson, fucking your kids like to light shit on fire. Maybe not have shit that he can get. In his grubby little fucking hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lock it away. Put it somewhere. He can't go to the store and go buy a lighter. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> I, I just don't... I just don't understand. I don't get it. You know? So, moral of the story is, talk to your fucking kids. Right? Look into your kids a little bit more. Don't be suspicious. Don't be like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you're fucking being weird. But just talk to your fucking kids. Yeah, you know, talk to their teachers. If you're the fucking teacher went to Cleveland's parents was like, hey, he's writing, he's writing shit about wanting to kill people, you know. And just and nothing. They, honestly, honestly, I mean, his parents were pacifists, so they were probably like, hey, what's going on? He's like, oh, it's just whatever, you know. Yeah, and they were like, oh. Okay. But if they would have went through his room, found his journal, read it, you know, it's like, yeah, fucking a, man. Yeah. Like literally anything, literally anything, they could have done anything to change it. Yeah. 
I just, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. That, yeah. That's what, that's the, the, the main crux of this whole series is, is like, everyone, every one of these fucking parents had an opportunity to save these people's lives. And they fucking didn't. Yeah. And why didn't they do that? And I'm sure they're, I'm sure to this day, they're fucking beating themselves up for it. <coughs> and, you know, in every single case, they're beating themselves up for it. Why didn't I look into their in, in internet history when they were fucking 12 years old? Why did I leave the lighters down? Why didn't I read his journals? Why didn't I do this? But the fucking signs are right in front of you all the long, and they just put the blinders on, and they ignored it. Yeah. And yeah. all those people were dead because of you. I hope you fucking know that. Yeah. So fuck you. (laughs) You I just, I I wanted to vent for a second after having to read some of the most horrific shit I've ever read in a long time. Fuck you for not doing anything. Yeah. Anyways, if you enjoy this week's episode of Haunts, Graves, and Omens, you're a sick fuck, but we love you nonetheless. Um... It feels weird doing plugs after that, um, but you can, you can go on our link tree. It's in our bio. Find our socials. I'm not even gonna fucking bother. Uh, you can find everything in there. Um, if if you want to maybe mention, tell us a story. Uh, you know, did you survive? You know, getting almost killed as a child from another child. Did you see aliens? Were you the family in Las Vegas that saw a fucking 10 foot tall humanoid in your backyard? Because I definitely want to talk to you (laughs) for fucking sure. I will absolutely call your ass (laughs) on before the show and have you on the show and to us have you tell us your story because that's fucking insane. Have you seen ghosts? You've seen aliens? Have you seen cryptids? Have you seen Mothman recently? Looking a little fit. Uh, Email us. It's your podcast. DM us on Facebook. Fucking Instagram. You know, at it's your podcast. Whatever. Um, But um, you can even hit us up on our post on our socials. You can follow me at I Hunt the Haunted on Instagram. Taylor? You can follow me at Lunar Thrill on Instagram and TikTok. There it is. Marty? At Ghetto Feather on Instagram. So if you got some creepy stories or you want to just tell us some crazy shit that you saw, do it. Send it our way. We'll absolutely read it and I would love to read it and converse with you. But until next week, stay spooky. Stay haunted. And watch your fucking kids.